What is up, everybody? We are back with another episode of the EX Performance Podcast. Today in episode nine, uh, myself and the young fit Jeremy Kane are going to go over one main question that we got this week. Um, we had to dedicate our own episode to it because we went back and forth on so many answers to it, and that is our coaching pet peeves. So we had a couple questions regarding to um, what we what our athletes do that are pet peeves. We had some some questions about what what in the fitness industry um, kind of gets us going. So we decided to dedicate a whole episode to coaching pet peeves. All right. So we're going to start with that. Um, and I will start this off, Jeremy. My first pet peeve for my athletes is the Garage Gym Hero. What do you mean by that? All right. So Garage Gym Hero is like the guy that plays Guitar Hero on the Xbox. He is a rock star in his house. But when it comes to putting performance on the line and proving it in public, can't do it. For the Garage Gym Hero, they're typically characterized by chasing maxes all day long, even though they shouldn't. Um, so do it for the gram, posting scores that when I do the math on, it is not physically possible. So they're trying to prove something to me for no other reason. And then the garage gym hero is also the guy or girl in some cases that chases all these quarantine challenges, hero workouts every day and stuff that doesn't relate to long-term progress. I think a lot of people kind of fall into that last one, especially right now with the COVID-19 thing, the, all the challenges and whatnot, um, they're enticing, sure, but you know what's the main picture and what's your kind of goal? Um, and then just, just, I mean, from the beginning of that one, like chasing your max, we've talked about in previous episodes. Now's not the time. If you have the equipment to do it, great. <laughs> if you don't, stop. Yeah, and that's that's what I, I should go back and say, like you know, for for the audience, like our athletes are performance athletes. Like we're not chasing yeah. aesthetics. We're not, you know, for some folks, we're doing general fitness, but even then, it's objective, right? So losing body fat, changing biomarkers, healthy measures of fitness. So when an athlete kind of does something like that, goes off track to me and it's like, hey, I did a, I did this hero workout. I did this because my next door neighbor challenged me. I'm like, okay, you're trying to win the garage gym games or are you trying to be better at a specific measurable goal? Get your mind right. Yeah, so, I, didn't, I didn't even look at it like that, but that's a good example because I look at myself as an athlete as well. And people are always like, hey, you want to do this? I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're good. One, because I have goals, but two, it's like, like workouts for me, yes, it's fun. It's a healthy, like fit lifestyle I like to live, but also like challenge, like I can go like fitness very hard. So it's like doing these fun challenges isn't really fun because and I do think there's a time and a place for it. Absolutely. If you're in a community, Absolutely. great. But like you said, objective measures is what we chase here. And majority of our athletes are performance athletes. So doing these fun little challenges are exactly that yeah and that's where that's where like you know i want to want to clarify like hero workouts are great i've got some named after friends of mine for real that i will do on the days that, that they got killed murph some of these other ones are great but we specifically program for them and so what kind of you know that i think the underlying issue is not necessarily that they're doing these these things but they don't realize what it costs them in overall performance so great you did a hero workout on a tuesday afternoon now you just cost yourself four days of workouts at a higher level that are actually going to make you better and they confuse difficulty for intensity and progress. And that's same concept, short-sighted. Behind, same concept behind wearing grips. I, I hear it all the time. I don't need to wear grips. It's like, great, man. Like you won the garage games, but like, yeah. like you, you didn't wear grips, but now you tear your hands and you can't do a single pulling movement for five days. And that's, that's where I think as the coach, you know, trying to, to talk to these athletes and tell them, Hey, we're, we're focused on the big picture. 
you literally pay me to paint a roadmap and to keep you focused and to keep you on track. Help me out here. Like, don't don't just go off track and do that. All right, so I'm going to kick it over to you. What's your... Yeah. So my first one kind of falls into a category. It's something I get a lot. It's like maxing out all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and where it kind of boils down to is just following instructions. And what I mean by that is if the workout has a prescribed intensity, um, rather it be a tough effort, moderate effort, just nice sustainable effort. Um, it's the thing where we say 21, 15, is sustainable effort. And after the set of nine, they're rolling on the floor, like passed out. It's like, I don't think that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it too is with newer athletes. I'm totally okay with that portion because it's, um, a verbiage thing. And, and typically that's a conversation I have in our first couple meetings, like, Hey, use workouts as an example. This is what I meant by tough or sustainable or don't fail. It's the repetitive athletes that sometimes are out there that just like constantly fail. Um, and we have to think about like the lasting effects of that. So let's say that I'm doing a clean and jerk. And so for right now, for me, a sustainable clean and jerk, I could probably hit on any day is 345. If my coach tells me, hey, build to like a tough single and we're working, we're busy, Corona's going on and 325 is tough. I need to stop there because that's where I'm at that day. What happens is if I just always jump to 345 or 335 and I'm missing it, a couple things are happening too. Typically movement faults happen on the end of failure, if not during failure. And uh, second, there's a confidence blocker that now I have like 335 is going to give me trouble. Yeah, yeah. They're coding failure in their brain. Yep. And I, that's failure. the most common one I see with people. It's, it's not so much the movement faults. Typically, we all have movement faults anyways. But it's the like they'll be stuck at a weight for months. And it's just because every single time they touch that weight, they're failing. That's it. That's it. And, and that's so, where I, I agree with you. I see it too, man. Yeah. Like. Those guys who who want to chase those things, they're doing it for no good reason, you know, in, in the garage or in the gym. Right time, right place. Yeah, full send in competition on game day if you're in, in certain athletics. You know, there's there's time and place to do that. I think when people chase it all the time, they either they don't understand or they don't respect the cost. They don't respect the cost on the body. They don't respect the cost on training. They don't respect you know, now your nervous system just coded bad movement. And so that's where that whole quality piece comes into training. And I think sometimes, especially newer athletes, um, they're used to PRing no matter what they do early on. <laughs> and, and then when they don't do it, they perceive that as a lack of progress. But, you know, to flip that around, if you give an analogy, like Mike Tyson wasn't fighting a prize fight a week before his big fight, you know what I mean? Yeah. He wasn't fighting 12 rounds and, and, you know, Tom Brady is not out there doing full contact the day before the Super Bowl. And these athletes are basically doing the same thing all the time, going full send all the time. And part of it's the sport of CrossFit. Part of it is the tactical world mindset of suffering is progress and these other things. And it's an intensity or pain addiction. And I'll get into that in my coaching stuff in a little bit. But being a more mature athlete, like I don't have to do that with my with my you know highest oh, yeah. quote unquote athletes, the ones that are the most successful ones with the highest numbers both in the gym and on game day that's never an issue they know they respect it they back it off and they they perform when the time is right and a little bit i think too has to do with just kind of being self-aware of what it takes right like we know that like to develop power we have to move the bar to a certain velocity um we know strength numbers like we have to hit a certain amount of reps a certain percentage um all relative to kind of the athlete just and I think some of it has to do with maybe that CrossFit community that kind of kind of got started where it's like everyone is kind of a new athlete 
and you're going to PR because, well, you do a deadlift once a month. Yeah, you're probably going to PR next time you do your deadlift. Um, but as performance athletes, you know, there's a process behind things. And I know we'll get into that soon, but there's a process into building into maxes. So therefore, when you're ready to hit them, you hit them. Yeah. And it's it's the whole concept of can you versus should you? Can you max out? Can you full send every day? Can you go max effort to a certain degree? Yeah. But when we look at it objectively, holistically, from an objective point of view, it's not going to support long-term progress doing it. And don't get it twisted though. If you're out there that like, we're not like we're saying that you should never lift on the verge of like failure mm -hmm. where the mistake is had that I see is like, it's a, if it's a tough double and you grind out that last rep, you should not be like there's a difference between a tough fail and a, the bar shouldn't have been lifted because it's just way too much weight. And if you look at it, man, that's what we're doing is creating these self-aware athletes who on game day, you know, for our CrossFitters, for our tactical athletes, they know their limit. Yep. They go right at their limit. They hold it right there. Their limit is usually higher than everybody else because they're doing minimum effective dose of training and training at high quality, not just a bunch of junk volume. So that brings me to my next athlete, my next athlete, Pet Peeve, which is the ADHD athletes out there, the ones who goal swap every other week, the <laughs> ones who lack focus on, on some days who I've literally had athletes put in notes that they didn't want to pull out jerk blocks because they were too heavy. So they were doing, you know, the movement from the ground, hitting nowhere near the weight. And I'm like, you want to be a high level competitor, but you won't even move jerk blocks out. <laughs> so you won't even move something three feet so you can get some quality work in. You know, it's it's ADHD in terms of, hey, this week I want to I heard one of your podcasts and now I want to do this. And next week I want to do that. And they forget how long it takes to change someone to change an athlete, both physiologically and mentally, you know, it's a, it's a mindset shift to come from the endurance world to a strength world and vice versa. And, and not respecting the time it takes to do that sometimes gets athletes, you know, self-defeated and stuff like, why am I not progressing? And it's like, you've literally been doing this two weeks, <laughs> literally two weeks. So give it longer and we'll see what happens. I'm sure you probably see the same thing with people. Let's say they want an endurance goal and also their strength starts going down. It's like, <laughs> Oh, we need to change yeah. it back up to strength. It's like, what? Hold on. <laughs> I know, I know. And that's where it's funny because I'm like, hey, objectively, you've got this deadlift, this squat, this bench, whatever the strength number is. And even if they gave up 10 or 20% for some of my athletes, they'd still be elite lifters. Mm -hmm. But the you know value I could get them on their endurance gains would drastically outweigh uh, the strength loss. And if they lose sight of that goal, that's where it becomes a major issue. So I think uh, my second one, it's going to kind of be hard to wrap up. I'll try my best to do it, is the athlete being the expert. And what I mean by that is not self-thinking athletes. This is, what, what, this is what we actually try to do here is create self-thinking athletes. But experts is in the sense of if a workout doesn't maybe go the way they want, um, they think they know the problem to it. And not so much of like giving feedback. That's one thing. It's we need to be doing this or the program needs to do this or kind of telling me. And the, and, the, and what I see is the athlete map doesn't really match up between coaching athletes. And that's typically when I have a conversation of like, Hey, we need to sit down and talk about this and kind of see where things are going. Um, and oftentimes it also relates back to, they tell me they have a goal, but they're not the kind of you alluded to. They're not doing what it takes to kind of do that goal. Um, again, it's like, like you're the expert, <laughs> you're wanting to do whatever you want to do, but it's not matching up with like the goals that you want. Yeah. Which, which ties into my third athlete pet peeve, which is just the trust issues, you know? And so that's, that is a major part of the coach athlete relationship. And it's something that has to be developed over time. And it's, it's not easy. I'll tell you that. And especially because a lot of our athletes are coming to us with either 
you know, a high level background in something before they are very aware of, of this space and things around them, but in their own singular scope, they know themselves versus us. We have a body of work, a body of different athletes to say, Hey, here's our results that we produced before. Give me one step back to take you 10 steps forward and back to the garage gym hero. It's like, yeah, you know, sometimes that guy's like, I should be hitting this weight. I should be hitting this. And I'm like, actually, you should be hitting about 35 pounds more based on everything else I'm seeing. But you keep holding yourself back. I know that because I'm looking at your numbers. You're trying to impress me day in and day out with with smash sessions in the garage. I don't care about that. Yeah. You know, you flip that back around. The guys who come in with injuries and you're like, hey, I want you to do this very entry level, beginner level progression so that in six months when you go back to your event, we can have you faster, stronger, more durable, all the other stuff. Joe's a good, Joe Hoffman's a good yeah. example of that right there. So they're like, hey, I'm, I'm stepping back. And it's like, yeah, but guess what? You've got six months to build back up yep. and they don't trust you with that. And I understand it because some people have some very big goals and very big aspirations. But, you know, that's where kind of I'm hoping when I talk to my athletes, I'm like, look, man, I've worked with these athletes that have done these things. I've proven it. Let me show you. Give me three months. And we'll be better than you think you're going to be. Yeah, I, I always use the example of like a football athlete, right? Like if you grab a football athlete in August, September, they're in peak shape. In the middle of March, they're prob- they're working out and they're doing the things they need to do, but they're not in peak shape. And I think nothing from a performance aspect when it comes to tactical athletes um, or even CrossFit athletes, depending on when your competition is, it's no different, right? Like if you're seven months out and you have a glaring weakness, like you don't need to be murdering yourself yeah. <laughs> trying to trying to get like do everything all at once when it's like, hey, we can focus on this. And then when it's time to quote unquote get in shape, then it's time to push and get in shape. And I think one thing I kind of want to add, it's not on my list, but then we'll get into my third one is um, the people that ask me because we're talking about Corona. Um, like what I should be getting on the workouts. I got, I get a handful of those a day, probably yeah, yeah. like, should I've gotten more? Should I've gotten less? From a programming perspective, um, with our experience, we know how long reps are going to take. We know how long cycle rate is. That's why it, we laugh when people throw out ridiculous scores. Cause it's like, we know you didn't do that. Um, just from pure cycle rate. Typically like, it's a volume control for me. So when I say four rounds, like I know how long it's going to take you within reason, 12 minute AMRAP. I know how many rounds you're going to get. What I look for as a coach is like that you did one round and your knee hurt, or you couldn't get through a single round. You couldn't lift the barbell. Cause then something's a red flag for me. But genuinely speaking, I'm not asking you to win the workout. Um, I'll never tell an athlete like, like, oh, you, you got to go faster. It's mm-hmm. typically just like, hey, you did the work. And then when it comes to testing is when I will tell you where we need to shift things. Yeah. And that's where, you know, a lot of times with these athletes, the, the trust issues ones for me, it's not it's not necessarily like I'm going to show you with a test. I'm going to show you with a thing. A lot of times it's a conversation because mm-hmm. what I've seen is, is those athletes with the trust issues um, with the programming and, and trusting the process. It's ones who don't recognize where they're at relatively, objectively. Um, they either think they're the next Rich Froning or the next Rob Killian or whoever it is, uh, and they don't respect physiology and where they're at objectively. Doesn't mean they're not like top level athletes, but I can look at the whole the data set we have on them and, and give them a good objective view. And then that's a conversation of saying, "Hey, you should be here. You should be there. Um, I could get you, I think, to here, 
but it's not some secret sauce. It's not some, you know, magical recipe. It's looking at where they're at and saying, hey, following a plan, a progression, that's where we can get you. And a lot of times I see that with people with injuries comparing themselves to them, their old version of them. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, well, I used to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, that's great. You're not that human anymore. Yeah. You're not that person. So let's let's be smart about it and let's build back intelligently so we don't rush back to another injury. And just face it, sometimes you'll never reach that peak potential again. Other times you may need to shift focus and you could get back there, but a different route than what got them there. I always tell my athletes, you'll hear from me if it didn't go okay. Yeah. And that's where, you know, with, with the athletes, like, especially my CrossFit and tactical athletes who, you know, the CrossFit is unknown and unknowable, right? All the competitions and things. And in the tactical world, it's like, well, well, what if, what if this happens? What if, what if, what if, what if we're with both those populations, they're so focused on the what if scenario that they forget about the when, like when I have to do steady state strength work or steady state conditioning work, or when I have to be lifting under fatigue and those things, I want to know what I can do on my worst day. A lot of those people are so focused on what if that they want to, to max out every day in case it gets called upon, but that's not what they can default to. Yeah. And I'm looking at what you can default to on your worst day. Sure, knock it out of the park on game day, but I want you to get get quality reps in for me. Yeah. So my last one is um, kind of a phrase that gets thrown out a lot is like, give me more, or is this all I have today, or is that it, or anything along those lines. Um, and it's just, it's oftentimes I think it comes with the whole showing off deal right like we want to be the people that's like yep yeah, i worked out for three hours and and uh and then i was gone i'm exhausted i need to eat all this good food because i need to replenish everything right because i work so hard well there's a time and a place for volume like extensive training versus intensive training right when we build up volume we build extensively we go tons and tons of tons um intensive we drop volume increase intensity so if i give someone 100 burpees for time and that's their only workout in my mind you're going to go so hard you don't want to do another workout mm -hmm. that day um a 5k row 20 minute max meter run a lot of times that happens with the, these tactical athletes that could run sub two hour ish 12 miler rucks and i'm like hey 20 minute max run and they're like that's it then what i'm like yeah. I want you like dying after 20 minutes. Like like nothing is left. You couldn't go 22 minutes if I asked you to. And when you, I think as an athlete get to that point, you'll never ask, is it enough? Because there's a purpose behind it in everything that we do. And I promise all my athletes out there, any athlete I get in the future, I'll never just undercut you on your workouts and be like, duh, like you're just going to do a bench today just because. Yeah. And that's where, you know, some people I think are addicted to volume. Like it's a rite of passage for them. Like I'm tough because I did three hours of workout today. And it's like, cool, but your overall intensity and speed and, and total power output sucked. Like have to have that conversation with them sometimes because especially in the tactical community, it's like, we got some grinders and they're like, Hey, I can, I can ruck for, you know, 40, 50 miles straight. And it's like, great, but you're not fast enough to pass. And so they forget there is a speed element to it. There's a durability element to it. And at certain times of year, yeah, you want to be able to go really far. You want to be enduring. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter if you're the most enduring person on the planet. If you're not fast enough, you're not injury proof. And so when we're programming, we have to do that intelligently. And so that's where, you know, to flip that around, my first coaching pet peeve is the, the coaches who are, you are paying me for punishment, yeah. right? So it's like some weird BDSM type thing. Like, yeah, you are paying me to hurt you. That's probably the dumbest thing I could ever see. And I see it a lot in this space where, you know, it's cool to put on T-shirts like 
you know, suffering and pain and all this other stuff, no pain, no gain. And it's like, really? Any athlete, anybody can can do that to you. Okay, go to a thousand burpees. Got it. Go run until your feet yeah. bleed. Got it. But that's not long-term progression. And so these coaches who, you know, capitalize off on that, off on that and market on that, it kind of pisses me off because I'm like, hey, they don't pay you for pain, they pay you for progress. And if you're not painting a map that takes them from where they're at currently to be better, not just dealing with more suffering, because most athletes in the CrossFit space and in the tactical world can deal with pain. Mm-hmm. That's that's why they're there. That's why they picked that domain. But if I can make them better and they've already got the pain threshold, then that's where we find that magic. And those type of programs, I think, just work off of just volume. Like, you know what I mean? Like just taking you from doing nothing to something, yes, you're going to get better. Sure. But that doesn't take into account injuries and, and um, rate of force, anything like that, that from an individual design that we track. Um, it doesn't take that into account. And I think – that's kind of where people get off on those programs is like, Oh, this person does it. And it's like, I mean, sure. Maybe like, we don't even know that. <laughs> and that's where, you know, back to your thing about, you know, is this it? Like we're not paying you to punish it. We, we are giving a specific dose and timing and intensity and type of exercise to get an adaptation. Some athletes really want to nerd out on that. Some athletes really want to get deep into the weeds on what we are trying to elicit. And that's cool. Some other ones, don't respect that and just think it's like not enough. And that's that conversation of, Hey, you're not going hard enough. Like here's your numbers. Those kind of sucked. And sometimes you have to have that, that candid conversation with them. The easiest way I think I've kind of explained that to an athlete where I saw their face like light up like a light bulb was, Hey, if I give you three 18 minute AMRAPs and it's a 12 cal row, think of in each one of those, each one of those AMRAPs has 12 cal row. Think about the row pace in each of those 18 minute AMRAPs. And then if I said, hey, do two minutes max calories, that pace is completely different and it's going to make you feel completely different. There's a time and a place for both. Yep. And um, that's, that's it. Like some of the athletes don't understand that's why we're doing it. Yeah. And some like you try and explain it to them and they're just like over their head, whatever. I just want more. And it's like we've always said, like more is not better. Better is better. And that's what we're trying to get with them. Um, what's your, what's your next coaching pet peeve, man, in the fitness space? So for me is that there's no entry level to being a coach. Um, and, and where I, th- and this doesn't necessarily doesn't have to do with anything with like degrees or where you went to school or what you've like done credentialing. in the pe- credentialing. Yeah. It, it more or less has to do with like, how much do you know and how much are you able to coach? There's a difference between being super knowledgeable. I mean, we have like med students in our gym that like wouldn't be able to talk program design, right? Super smart individuals. But it's more or less applying applying the information, and I think what bugs me in the industry is you go into these gyms, and for people that don't know anything about fitness, they see coach on the back of a shirt, or they hear the title, "Your Coach Chris," like, and they will listen to anything you say, and that is the biggest problem I have with it is these people don't know what they're talking about, and then they go and give information, or they go and give advice, or they say, "Here's how you should snatch with a big hitch in the middle of your snatch," or like give nutrition information. It's like, you don't really know. You just have the title coach and someone is going to listen to you. And I think that's my biggest problem. Yeah. And that's, that's where my second pet peeve is, is the big words, bro coach. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, I will see people compensate for a lack of knowledge with big words. Social media is what it is. Like you see people throw some stuff out there. And, and to those of us that, that understand what they're saying, it's like, no, that's not it. And, and to dispel it, <laughs> And to like, you know, prove them wrong, especially on social media, it doesn't get anybody anywhere. And it's like that old saying, it's like, it's harder to disprove bullshit than just to ignore it. 
And so a lot of times when I see that, it just hurts me because, you know, we take our job very seriously. We understand the impact it can have on people's lives and careers and everything else. But you're right. At the end of the day, there's there's some money making to it. There's not really a, a control process to it. Um, you know, and I don't know what the answer is to that because, you know, you could have credentialing and licensing boards like, like, uh, hell hair salons and nail salons get inspected every so often and things like that. But the fitness space is so broad and drastic. I think it'd be hard to do that, but I do agree with you. It's, it's frustrating sometimes because people put their trust in us and we take that seriously. Others are kind of in it for the buck. And I think it's a poor way to like solve the solution, but it works for us. Um, I think it weeds out itself, you know, like it, it does suck. And there is that out there where the people are fighting for people's attention. However, I know with our athletes, they're pleased. Mm-hmm. And I know that their word and their kind of experience with us speaks volume. And that's kind of like the number one response. I, I have athletes I've been working with for two and a half, three years now where they're like, like, this is the most amazing thing. And then they tell their friends. And then when their friends finally come to us, they see the difference. And I think as a coach, if you're a coach out there, like you have to set that standard to where you're not just another coach that's making up a crafty workout. Like, like I always tell my people, like when, like you're paying me to care and I do care. Like when I lose someone because of a deployment or lose someone because whatever, like it hurts not because of whatever, but like, because of any other reasons besides like, I cared about your program. I cared about your health and well being, And so it's a, it's a process between the coach and athlete. And I think that level of care shows what makes us different. It just still sucks that it's out there. Yeah. And that's where, you know, like at the end of the day, it's, I can take my own stance on stuff and my beliefs and everything else, but hell, I did a post about this recently is like results are king, man. And you know, like a lot of times we're seeing it with our athletes, both personally, you know, like on a competitive level and then professionally, like tactical level and some of our high level competitive athletes, like it's starting to prove itself. Um, But that's hard to explain to Joe, you know, the plumber who walks in on the, on the, off the edge of the street and just asks us about what we're doing. Um, so, you know, big shout out to the EX family for, for yeah. sharing the word on what we're doing um, and the lives we're changing and things we're having with it. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, but staying in that same space. The last thing I have with the coaching industry and my pet peeve is uh, fixed mindset coaches. And what I mean by that is, you know, they're back to your, your point. There is a traditional training pipeline to come into the coaching industry And a lot of times coaches will take that and it's good and it's a foundational level of knowledge, but they won't ever question it or change. So they keep this fixed mindset of, you know, 1970s and 80s era programming that they still apply. They don't listen to their athletes or look at the results that their athletes are getting and saying, hey, maybe there is a better way or is a different way. And so what we still see is even to this day, um, some of the the biggest coaches uh, in the world are saying like, hey, this is new. Like Cal Dietz. Cal Dietz yeah. is throwing some stuff out. He's like, look, this is new. We've disproven a lot of this stuff. Here's my method. It, it's not the only method, but look at it. It's a different method. And some of these other ones, but you've still got what I would say is like mid-level coaches who are like, nope, I'm still doing the same linear programming. I'm still doing the same thing. Because that's what I was taught in they school. They stop their learning. Yeah, exactly. And they have this you know, fixed mindset instead of a growth mindset. Um, whereas I try and keep a, a beginner's mind all the time, like what, what's working, what's not, how can we change, take things from other areas of the world, apply it to our coaching philosophy and system and make the whole thing better. My uh, last one, I'll kind of combine into two. It's just essentially claiming to have a secret kind of goes along with what you're saying, like yeah. just being fixed or the Instagram 
coach that just <laughs> has all these tips and tricks and secrets, the best way to get the 30 muscle-ups unbroken, right? Yeah. Um, and then a second one kind of falls into that is like justifying complexity in a program, like creating the most complex, fit, like trying to make it sound cool. That way people believe that you know what you're talking about. And my experience, the people I mentor under, and then as well as just my own program design, um, I find that the coaches that do it best are the people that are able to to assess really well, assess what their athlete needs, assess where the program needs to head, lay out an effective program, and then pay attention to their athletes. And they're able to do that in a like simple, sophisticated, like all those things put together, they're able to make a beautiful program and, and simple works. Like if I need you to do more pull-ups, there's things we can do, sure, drills and start or start with the basics. You got to work on your pulling strength. <laughs> that's, that's where, you know, back to that conversation about the lack of trust. I think some athletes are, uh, just overestimate their ability and, and have this perception bias that they're elite and therefore their program should be elite. And what I mean by that is complex. Um, but what we know from doing it long enough is, is a lot of times that you're saying simplicity is key and effective. And at the end of the day, like, when you're training, it's, it's practice. It's everything yeah. else. Like if you're trying to make practice and those other things super complicated, then you're not going to progress long-term and you're going to be good at practice. You're never going to be good at, at showing up on game day. Yeah. So, you know, the big, big thing for me is, is a lot of times the complexity and, and things like that are just their disguises for the coach, not truly understanding what's going on. Right. And so if they're trying to make it overly complex, overly complicated um, and they don't realize how to do it with the minimum effective dose or the least the simplest way possible, they're taking away from a lot of other things that the athlete could be doing. Also, the athlete who needs that type of program is typically the one who overestimates their own capability and doesn't have the humility to say, I need to work on skill. I need to work on single things at a time. Um, and step back and say, okay, from the big picture, you're right. Right now, work simple. As I get closer to my event, I'll get more complicated. Yeah. So, you know, with all, all that being said, we, we went through some of our kind of pet peeves, but, you know, that's not us. We, we like to focus on the positive stuff. We have an amazing family of EAX athletes here. And so we wanted to close out this episode with, with the traits of some of our most successful athletes. And what I would say is, like, overall, number one, all of my top athletes, both in the CrossFit space and the tactical world, are the ones who are willing to do hard work, but smart work. What I mean by that is like, instead of going out to do a 60 minute workout, they want specific pacing, they have specific goals within there, and they aim to hit them. Even if that is a monotonous and boring pace, when we're just trying to build like aerobic volume. Mm -hmm. You know what's hard? A hard is holding a very slow pace on a rower, staying focused enough to not go fast, that ADHD thing, and get a specific dose and timing of aerobic work that creates a certain type of change that we're looking for instead of always defaulting to your compensation of, well, I'm going to go really fast and just get it done with. And then on game day, when you get called to do really slow, low, uh, slow aerobic work, you don't have it because you never actually put in the time. You just faked it. Uh, I would say just, I mean, one of the ones I really like to do, and I, I'd say this with all my athletes, is creating, we've mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, Creating self-thinking athletes. And, and so what do I mean by that? I don't mean that you can create, generate your own program or generate your own whatever, fill in the blank. What I mean by that is you're understanding the process and what we try and put 
and teach our athletes in terms of like where the program's heading, where you need to be at this moment in time, everything from nutrition, sleep. Reason being is if you're a self-thinking athlete, that's what you're going to default to. So the biggest one I get is what macro should I be eating? Well, let's talk about other things first. Like, are you even eating enough to begin with? Um, what's your food quality? Like what times you're eating in the day? How are you eating in the day? Are you chewing your food? Or are you just guzzling it down? All of those things, because what, what I see happens in the, my kind of top level athletes is they understand all those things. So therefore I can make tweaks and adjustments. And when they're on their own, I don't have to watch over their shoulder and be like, why did you eat this? Or why did you not eat this? Because they generally get the idea behind, oh, like we had a little bit higher volume today. I need to maybe up my carbohydrate intake and drop other things. Or, um, man, I'm recovering really well. It's because I'm sleeping eight hours. Not because I'm just telling them you need to sleep eight hours. Like you need to understand why you're doing it. Um, and, I, and I just think that's the biggest thing that I see from really talented athletes is that they're understanding it for themselves. My, uh, my next thing, man, kind of along those lines is, is kind of what you were getting at is like my best athletes, the, the ones who are most successful are the ones who stay focused on the big picture and the long-term goal, right? Yeah. Daily fluctuations will happen based on stress, based on how you were eating and sleeping and those other things. And you may not have the best training day ever, right? So a heavy single at 85% feels really heavy that day. Some days, you know, it's, it's different for whatever the movement is, even for speed, but they don't let that consume them. They know that's part of the training process. You're going to have natural highs, natural lows, life happens. But what's the long-term goal? Am I progressively moving forward? And so instead of each day being a self-defeating thing, when they walk into the gym and stuff feels tired or heavy, they expect that. And they shift that mindset to, okay, I'm training well because I'm getting tired and I'm getting, I've got a little bit of fatigue. The smart thing to do, if I want a five pound PR today, I could chase it and miss 10 times. But if I want a 50 pound PR on game day in six months, then I'm going to trust the process and do what, what the overall theme is and not let it consume them if they have a singular bad day. Yeah. Now, I'd all say from me, from a programming perspective, I think with my background and whatnot, I, I tend to simplify a lot of things when it comes to power output on a rower, bike. Um, I try to make it as simple as possible. And I do see that when people go from the CrossFit model and then they pop over to kind of maybe individual programming, sometimes it's a change of pace for them. But I would say I love athletes that are able to communicate with me really well because then I can inform them. And like, they always think they're bugging me. Like, hey, I don't, I don't mean to bug you or I don't want to interrupt kind of your day. It's like, no, no, no. Like I want you to text me. I want you to want to know more because I'm more than willing to share it. And I'm more than willing to, help you in the next phase versus not saying anything. And all of a sudden now we're both lost. No, that's, that's huge. And that's actually, that sums up my last point for my most successful athletes too. My most successful athletes that I've had the longest and that I've had the most success in their given domain are the ones who ask questions, but they ask the right questions. Not, can I have more volume? It's, Hey, why are we doing low volume, high intensity right now? Why are we doing high intensity um, on this day, but not this day? Cause back to my coaching pet peeves, right? So, the pay for punishment stuff, coaches, if you ask me why today hurts and tomorrow doesn't, I should be able to articulate that very well on the intent I'm trying to get. Same thing with the big words, coach. If you are asking me questions about something I say and I can't give you an immediate response and I have to go Google it and have to do these other things, <laughs> you should see right through me. And then the last thing with the fixed mindset, if you're asking me questions as an athlete 
and I can explain to you a mindset and a big picture view, then that goes all the way back to the beginning. And you're not trying to be a garage gym hero anymore because you know the process. You're not having ADHD because you know that I'm I'm thinking through these things and and you're not having trust issues because you understand I'm looking at a bunch of the underlying things so that my athletes can execute. And at the end of the day, when we're painting that roadmap for them to, to get to the right place, right time at the right preparedness level, you know, I want them to know I'm doing the GPS work behind the scenes. Yeah. They're just following the turns, but sometimes they're going to hit a roadblock. Sometimes stuff's going to happen and we got to talk um, to understand that. And always we want our athletes to ask those questions so they know if we're full of it or not. Yeah. yeah I, I love when, um, when they, yeah, when they uh, ask the right questions, um, but also when it comes to trusting the process, I, I love jumping on the Zoom calls with my athletes, like especially right now because Corona, we're doing one about once every two weeks. I'll get everyone to jump on one, um, and just seeing them and like seeing them enjoying the process and communicating. And even if they're struggling right now with anything, it's like when they're enjoying the fitness journey, that's part of it for me, and that gives me fulfillment as well. So it's not so much about. Matt Harris, a good example. I'm not even sure if he listens to this, right? Like, <laughs> like 50 years old, snowboard, ski super hard. Like by no means is he out back squatting all my athletes. And he always asks me, he's like, oh, I know I'm not the young bucks out there, but Matt Harris, one of my best dudes in the program for, because he just gives it his all and he puts full trust in me. And so all those athletes out there that do that, like it, it means a lot to me because then it's like when I give Pablo's good example built him up for like three weeks now, hit him a one mile time trial and he pops off some times. I'm like, dude, this is what I'm talking about. Like, these are good. And I think when we, when they get that response from us, in my eyes, it, it, it builds the trust even more. And they're like, Oh, things are heading in the right direction. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's where like, you know, for the, for the listeners who've listened to the other stuff and, and one of our biggest podcasts to date was, was with Taylor, you know, prior national level rower chasing the 440 deadlift, uh, 440 mile in the same training session. You know, we did about 12 weeks where we never really touched any of that um, outright. You know, it looked a lot different than a traditional training model will. But Taylor is great about, his, yeah. Yeah, great about his communication, great about his focus on what matters. So his prep, his recovery, all these other things, not, hey, can I have more? Hey, can I do this differently? He asked why and he asked, you know, asked some other questions. But we do the first tester on his deadlift, 65 pound deadlift PR, 11 second mile PR. And that was 12 weeks of training, very high level athlete, never done any of this before. A lot of heavy loading. No, deadlifts. not at all. And he's not broken. He's still doing other life stuff. And he goes out and he pulls 425 on his deadlift, got 440 off the ground, and then goes and runs a 455 mile 20 minutes later. Yeah. So, you know, the progress is there. And that's where circling back around. So results are king. You know, at the end of the day, we want results for our athletes, whether it's it's performance measurables like that, game day competition. Or, you know, the biometrics or biomarker stuff that we're changing for just our health athletes. That's the difference between, you know, randomness and just punishing you with painful yeah. stuff and progress. And even, and then that just, the, that's the difference between us, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. like what makes EAX different? Well, it's like when you come in the door wanting something, our initial answer is not just, cool, I'll throw you a huge Wendler 531 and, you know, PR your back. It's like, yeah, here, no, no, here's no, a like, 20 week cycle, like regardless of where you're at. Our number one question, um, I do certain athlete intakes. Chris does a different one. But in general, if you were to record both of them, one of the first probably two things that we will ask you, what does your day look like? Mm -hmm. And I think that approach alone has so much to do with my programming. Um, Like, hey, man, what's your day like? Because then I can know how, how much are you stressed at work? How much are you doing at work? 
Like how much activity is it at work? You sit behind a desk, are you moving stuff? And that's the difference between just writing a sick program that has cool workouts mm-hmm. and like, hey, we're going to build long term success. That way, when it's time to call upon a peaking phase or a, an event, an emotional event or a physical event, you're ready. You're not just like, here's a 12 week get fit quick program. Yeah. And, ba- and back to our, slo- our slogan, our tagline, man, it's like helping people get more out of life by getting more to their body. That can be a drastically different goal from everybody who walks in. But we start with the human, start with their goals and then build a plan to fit them not give them a plan that they may or may not use or may not fit their lifestyle. So yeah, man, good jam session today. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. Obviously, if you have any questions, we love taking them. We love fielding them. Um, It really helps with these podcasts and a lot of our social media content. I hope you guys are doing well out in the Corona land. Quarantine is is ending for some of you athletes we know out there, other ones still in the grind. Uh, We wish you the best. As always, um, follow us on social media. Hit us up on uh, Facebook or Instagram at Evolution Athletics NC, and then email Chris at EvolutionAthleticsNC.com with any other questions you got. And as always, get better every day.